Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first time. Uh, no. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without cost. That's the word of the God, a word of God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father God, we invite you here this morning. We acknowledge your presence in and among us. Lord, would you soften our hearts where you open our ears and our eyes to receive the, the message this morning. Lord, we acknowledge how good you are. What an awesome father it is. Your name is wonderful. We declare that boldly this morning. We ask that you would uh, you would uh, now usher in uh, the word in a real and a, and a vivid way. Amen. I pray, Lord, that you would be with our brother Dave. And, uh, Lord, that you would uh, use him as a tool, Lord, to glorify you, to help us grow. Lord, may his words be, um, be clear. May you give him uh, the insight that, that he needs this morning, Lord. I pray that you would bless him especially right now as he comes. We thank you for all these things. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Sorry about that glitch. Before I preach the word, I'd like to introduce what we're going to talk about tonight. It's a little racy. It's going to break the reverie of the Christian uh, Christmas songs that we sang, but I have a point. So, spirit in the sky, listen. Yeah. 
right, that was a song by, you may not know the guy, but his name is Norman Greenbaum. And, and it made the top uh, number three in the Billboard uh, Top 100 in, 1960, in 1969 and 1970. And the reason I play it is this. Well, first of all, Bob Snow had it played at his memorial service. I don't know if you remember Bob, but uh, he played that song at his memorial service. And I figured, well, if Bob can do it, I can do it. And uh, so that's my rationale in part. But in, the other part is this. He obviously believed in God and he even believed in Jesus. In fact, he even believed that Jesus was the mediator between human beings and God. Got to have a friend in Jesus because he's going to recommend you to the spirit in the sky. And uh, so I, I, I just have to be honest, I like the song. All right, so there it is. But there's something about the song that I don't appreciate now that I'm a pastor, and that is there's sort of a flippant attitude about God and heaven and eternity, like spirit in the sky. Surely the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ need, needs to be dressed more honorably than just the spirit in the sky, you know. And uh, we do need to have a friend in Jesus, but, uh, but a little bit too flippant for me. Nevertheless, I still like the song. My point being is that so many people today have a flippant sort of, sort of come, as they, come as I am uh, attitude towards death and eternity and even God sometimes. Maybe you've heard Jesus referred to as the man upstairs. And uh, she's in a better place about someone who's passed away. And we hope they are. But sometimes people say that with no knowledge of what that means. And I find that people are, are a little bit fuzzy about what's going to happen uh, when we die and what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. And so I want to talk about eternity. I'm really glad to be able to do this. The first thing I want to say is this. We believe that everyone will meet their maker. We believe that everyone will meet their maker. So uh, there's no getting around that point. We're going to meet God. We're going to give an account to him of our life. And so we need to be ready. So I'm going to be talking about heaven uh, in a while. But uh, before I say that, I want to say this, that many people today, many teachers today, say that we should spend more time focusing upon what God is doing here and now that we should focus on our lives here and now because that's where we can make a difference. And there is some truth to that, some truth to it. Jesus said that we should make a difference in our world. He said that we should be salt and light. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for after that? That's my paraphrase. It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled under by, by men. And so he does want us, he said, you are the light of the world. You, 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 and you, we are all, y'all. I'm not from Texas, really, but you all are the light of the world. That God wants people to be able to look at us and see what Jesus is like. And, and, and come to the point where they give glory to God. But I want to say this, it's not a matter of either or. And it's not a matter of either focus on the life here and now or the life that's coming. It's both. The New Testament focuses on both, and both matter. What we do here matters. It counts for something. So keep that in mind as we talk about eternity. On the other hand, I heard a, I heard a commentator of the news say, uh, and I, it blew my mind that, because it sounded Christian almost, but he said, human society is imperfectible. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? I said, well, 
we're here to make a difference for God. We're here to do good for God and, and to change the world one person at a time. And that can even have an, a, an effect on, on the world around us sometimes. But no matter how much good we do, no matter how much good we do here, and the good we do here matters, don't get me wrong, but sin and evil are still going to remain. They are going to remain until Jesus comes. And so if we think we can create heaven on earth, we will be sadly mistaken. We will be sadly mistaken. So it's not a matter of either or, it's a matter of both and. The second thing about that is this. This world can never satisfy our deepest inner longings. It just can't. It just can't and it won't. And if we think that it will, we're going to be disappointed and disillusioned when we come to that point where we meet our maker. But, oh, well, let me say this first. I say this at every, every memorial service that, that I do. The mortality rate for the human race is 100%. Amen. Yeah, it is. So we're all going to come to that moment no matter what. So it behooves us to be ready. I mean, it's, it's important that we be ready for that moment. We live all our lives to, to meet God, really. As the Bible says, it, it is appointed to people, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. And so I want to say that the mortality rate for the human race is 100%. We're all going to go there. But death is not the end, according to the Bible, and that's the good news. It is not the end. So I want to take some time to talk about this. We also believe, this is my second point, we believe that the Bible alone adequately addresses the issue of universal mortality. In other words, the idea that everybody's going to die, the, the truth of that. First of all, the first thing is atheistic, naturalistic uh, materialism. And what I mean by that is this. There are people who believe that, that this world is all there is. And when you die, you die, and it's over. There's a saying that, that I, that I kind of came up with Yes, I poured over that idea. You came from nothing. This is what they believe. You came from nothing, by nothing, by chance, for no reason, and you're going nowhere. That's the, if you want to become an atheist, that's your, your, your goal in life, is to die and be no more. When, you, when it's over, it's over for you. And I don't think, I honestly don't think that many people actually believe that or live like that. If you look at their life, they're not living like they're, they're going to be nothing when they die. They're trying to make a, a life for themselves. And they're working hard to do it. But why? It's all going down. And I don't mean to be pessimistic, but just realistic. That's where it goes, unless you believe in Jesus. Then there are what we call universalists who believe everybody goes to heaven. And there are some around. Uh, this sounds merciful, but it forgets justice. Would it be right that murderers and rapists would go to heaven and live forever? Would it be right that Hitler and Stalin and Paul Pot of Cambodia would go to heaven and live forever? I don't think it would be. In fact, Jesus taught that not everyone goes to heaven. Jesus himself said this. Then he said this in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he, that is the Son of Man, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus himself said, not everybody goes there. 
Well, the, the third uh, idea, idea is the idea of reincar reincarnation. And we in the West think reincarnation is a great idea because we get to do life over again. Wouldn't you like to have an, uh, an opportunity to do your, your life over again and, and, and correct the mistakes that you've made? Wouldn't you like to have the opportunity to do that? The problem is that, that people who believe in reincarnation be, believe this is really almost a, a, an eternal cycle of death and rebirth. You die and you're born again. You die, and you, not, not in the spiritual way. <laughs> you die and you get another life. You die and you get another life. And you get, die and get another life. And it never ends. In fact, Buddhism was founded to get out of that endless cycle. And they still can't do it because karma is going to get you. Instant karma, John Lennon had a song like that, Instant Karma is going to get you. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that song or not, but I didn't do justice to it. But but, it, but if you believe in karma, karma has no mercy. There is no mercy. And it's going to bring upon you the bad consequences of everything you did in this life. How would you like to live under that regime? That doesn't sound good to me. I don't want to pay. Maybe I'm a chicken, but... I don't want to pay for every wrong thing I've done in this life. And thank God I don't have to. Because God is merciful, but there's a way to his mercy. And then there's Catholicism. And let me say, I have good friends who are Catholic. In fact, the man who, who had the most influence on my life with regard to becoming a Christian and accepting Christ was a die-hard Catholic. And until I received Christ, we would talk about the Bible and he'd answer my question. He sounded like a normal Protestant Christian. But when I became a believer, boy, we had some discussions. And I tell you, they got hot and heavy. So love the guy to death. He helped me to come to Jesus. But there's some things that they believe in that I didn't. And one of those is purgatory. And I don't fully understand it, but here's how it works. If you die in God's grace, you've got enough grace not to go to, the, to that place. But you're not purified enough, you go to purgatory. And you stay there until you're sufficiently pure to go to heaven, which is the perfect place. And uh, I would just like to say the Bible cuts against that. This is one short passage. It's my, one of my favorites. I have many. Uh, but but uh, Romans 8, verse 1 sa says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when I come to the end of my life, I'm not going to expect to, to have to be purified more because I've been made into the likeness of Jesus. I've been justified, and there is no more condemnation. So I don't need to be made more pure than I already am. I couldn't get more pure in God's sight because I'm like Jesus. Not in reality, but in God's eyes. I don't live perfectly like Jesus, obviously. But in God's eyes, I am just like Jesus, his son. The third point I want to make is this, um, that we believe that, oh wait, I forgot one thing. The biblical teaching is that those who put their faith in Jesus live forever. They live forever, all right? And uh, John 3 says, if you don't, if, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. But if you are born again, the, op the obvious implication is you will see the kingdom of heaven. You will see the kingdom of God. We'll come back to that later. Here's my third main, one of my third main points, and that is we believe that death is not normal. Death is an enemy. I heard uh, go, going to co college, many people say, many of my professors would say, death is a normal part of life. 
death is a normal part of life. And that's true to some degree in the, fact, in the sense that everybody dies, as I said earlier. But death is not normal. Death kills creatures who are created in the image of God. Death brings an end, an end to all our dreams and goals and ambitions. And though it's not bad to have those things, but death cuts them off. Death brings an end to our closest relationships. One of my cousin's daughter-in-law passed away on Thanksgiving Day from a pulmonary problem that she had. And she's younger, way younger than me maybe 40-something. It cuts off our closest relationships. And that's not good. There's nothing normal about that. And the Bible says that death is an enemy. The Bible says that God has declared war on death. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 26 says, says this, For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy of God, and God's going to kill it. Death is going to die someday, forever. And we'll never see it, as Tim read, again, because all things are going to be made new. And then, and then point number four, we believe that God sent Jesus to establish his kingdom on earth. That's why I say what we do here matters. It is important to focus on this life. What we do here counts for God forever. We'll be rewarded for every good thing, every last good thing we've done in Jesus' name. God is going to reward us for that. From the biggest thing to the smallest thing we've ever done. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, you will in no case, under no circumstances whatsoever, will you ever lose that reward for that. God sees and God knows, and he's going to reward every last good deed that we do. But God's plan for planet Earth is stated in the Lord's Prayer. In the second line, in, Matthew, and rather, yeah, in Matthew 6, verse 10, Jesus said, Jesus taught us to pray, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I say it like this. I still quote King James English. Thy kingdom come. That sounds more holy to me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, listen to this, on earth as it is in heaven. Is that possible? Yes. To some degree, not perfectly, but to some degree, that's possible even right here, even right now, even through people like me and you. It's possible. Jesus wouldn't have taught us to pray it if it wasn't. And Jesus announced that the kingdom of God had already arrived when he came. The kingdom of God has already come. It's already here. Jesus said when he started his ministry, according to Mark, in Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel and, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at, at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. So it's here. The kingdom of God came to earth when Jesus, the king of the kingdom, came to earth. And so the kingdom of God is here. But here's something I want to say that should blow our minds. As the body of Christ, the church, because Jesus is in heaven right now, right? I wish he was here, but Jesus said it's better that I go away because then you'll receive the Spirit. But back to what I'm going to say, 
Jesus, the, the Bible teaches that every, every local church, every single local church, and the church worldwide is an outpost of the kingdom of God on planet Earth in enemy territory. Yeah, do you understand what that means? That we as Encounter Church are, are an outpost of the kingdom of God on planet Earth in enemy territory. The kingdom of God is present where God's people are present. That blows my mind. Every local church is an outpost of the kingdom. And let me say, it's almost impossible to understate, to overstate rather, to overstate the importance of the church in God's plan of salvation. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, 20, verse 20, and then verses 22 to 23. Listen carefully to these words. He that is God raised him, that is Jesus, from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, and put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, now listen, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Do you catch what that means? That we, the church, are the overflowing supernatural presence of God in this world. We are the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. That's the church. It's impossible to overstate that. That's who we are. And so as I talk about eternity, I do want to focus upon now because now counts. It counts. And we count. And then the next thing I want to say is this, point five, very short point. We believe that God is expanding his kingdom on earth by giving eternal life to anyone, to all who believe. People enter the kingdom of God by putting their faith in Jesus. Jesus said, very, very, I, I like to say verily, verily, as the King James says, it just seems to have more weight. Verily, verily, I say unto you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And then he said a second time, verily, verily, I say unto you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. That means unless they're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's you and me. We are in the kingdom of God right now. Right now. And everlasting life begins, let me say this, everlasting life begins the moment a person puts their trust in Jesus. Your everlasting life that you're going to live forever and ever started when you put your faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus promised you're never going to die. You are not going to die. Do you believe that? Let me read it to you. Just to, just to bolster that belief, Jesus said to her, that is Martha of Mary and Martha fame, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Or whoever believes in me shall live even though he may die. But then he says, and whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So there's a sense in which you are not going to die. There is part of you that is going to live on when your body dies. You will be in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus in heaven until he comes again. And so let me close by just saying this. Jesus reclaims territory for God from the power of sin, death, and Satan 
one person at a time as they come to faith in Him. Our role as an outpost of God's kingdom on earth is to introduce people to the King. We are the place where people come in contact with Jesus. Now, Jesus can contact and find people anywhere outside the church. He did that with me. But ultimately, I had to come to a church, to an outpost of the kingdom of God, so they could explain to me what it meant to believe in Jesus. I already believed, it. I already believed in him to some degree, but I had no idea what salvation was or how you get it. I was still expecting to die someday, and that would be it. Until I went to church and somebody explained to me. You put your faith in Jesus, you'll never die. You never die. So that brings me to this point. We believe that we will live forever in resurrected bodies. We are going to live forever in resurrected bodies. Let me tell you what heaven is not. People hear this version of heaven, they think, boring, that we're going to be, be dressed in white robes, you know, with angels' wings, sitting on the clouds, playing harps forever. Have you seen cartoons like that? That's what a lot of people have in mind. That's not it. I wouldn't want to do that. That's why people say heaven sounds boring to them. But we're going to live out everlasting life in resurrected bodies that will never, ever become diseased. They will never decay. They will never sin again, most importantly, and they will never die. We're going to have a physical body that's going to live forever. Let me read you again from 1 Corinthians. Corinthians 15, 20 to 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So this passage says this, Jesus was resurrected bodily from the grave. He's the first fruits of those who sleep. By the way, the Bible refers to death for Christians as sleep because it's temporary. The death of the body, that is. Your, your soul and your spirit will, will survive the death of the body, but your body's going to be resurrected. You're going to receive a new one, and Jesus is the first fruits of that. He's the proof of that. We don't just believe that because because we want to have a nice, happy ending when someone tragically dies. Every death is tragic because every death is an enemy of God. We don't just believe that because it's nice to think happy thoughts at someone's memorial service. We believe it because one human being has already died. He's come back to life in a fully human, physical body, and he's only the first one. He is God's promise that every single believer in Jesus will we'll receive a new body and live forever in that body. And I get asked a lot. People ask me a lot. When, we, when we're in heaven, when we are in eternity, will we know our family and loved ones and friends? And the answer is yes. We will know them. We will love them. We will resume relationship with them. How do I know this? Well, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And there's a story in Luke that I love because the disciples were afraid. They thought they'd seen a ghost. And Jesus says to them, Jesus himself, this, this is what Luke says, Jesus himself stood among them and said to, said to them, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can plainly see that I have. And then he said, 
Put your hands in my nail prints. The shock, when the shock wore off, they recognized him. What, imagine if you'd been to a memorial service and the next day you saw that person alive. Would you be shocked? I'd be scared to death. What's going on here? And that's what the disciples were doing. But Jesus said, no, it's me. Handle me. Touch me and see. I have flesh and blood, and the nail prints are still there. I don't know why God left them. I think to be an eternal reminder to us what it cost for us to experience eternal life. That the wounds of the crucifixion will be in Jesus' body forever. Forever. Point number seven, we believe that heaven will come down to earth. So we will go up to heaven. Paul talks about uh, being in Jesus' presence when he died. In Philippians 1, 21 to 23, he was in jail when he wrote these words, and he thought he might be convicted and executed for being a, a rabble-rouser, right? He was in Nero's jail, well, not Nero's jail yet, in, in Caesar's jail, and he thought he might die. So this is what he says in that context. For me to live in Christ, to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. me. Yet what shall I choose? So Paul is saying, you know, I might live, I might die. Which one do I want? And this is what he says in verse 23. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But he made the ultimate choice. No, if I stay here, I can have fruitful labor among you all. I can bless you if I stay here. So I want to stay. But when you die, part, part of you, your, your reality, part of your personality, rather, your soul or your spirit will go to be in the presence of Christ. And, but I want to say this. We will go up there. And don't ask me where up there is. I have no idea where heaven is. It's, it can't be, can't be up because the universe is up there. I, I, I happen to think it's probably something like a different dimension. You know, you pass through a wormhole and now you're in heaven. I, that's just my, you know, scientific freaking out, but that's what it is. Uh, Sci-fi freaking out, rather, not science. But this is what Revelation says, that, that heaven's coming down here. So we will be in heaven up there only temporarily. When Jesus comes, heaven's coming down here. Let me read it to you. Tim read it at the beginning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with him and be their God. So God's coming down here. Heaven is where God lives, and God is going to live on planet earth someday. He shall wipe away this. This, this, is, this is awesome. He shall wipe away every tear. I can hardly ever read this. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. There's a day when all of this, and all this is beautiful at some level, it's still God's creation, but it's contaminated by sin and evil and death. But someday all that's going away, and that's not a pipe dream. 
That's the promise of the risen Jesus who died and rose again. We're going to sing about that as soon as I'm done. So human, God created, listen to this. God's original plan for creation is finally going to be fulfilled. God created Adam and Eve to do work in the garden. And when we come down here, when the new heaven and the new earth come into existence, we are going to have work to do, and we're going to love it. You ever get frustrated in your job? You ever get ticked off at your co-workers? There's going to come a time when we're going to love our work. We're going to love it to death. It's going to be something that fulfills us. That's what's going to happen with the new heaven and the new earth. We can't fully comprehend what that's going to be like, but we get a taste of it. We get a taste of it here. Point number eight, we believe that God is lovingly just. Lovingly just. 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Not just God does loving things, which he does all the time, but he is love through and through. If you could, if you could pierce God into God's heart and soul, and, and we can't do that because he doesn't have a body, but, but at the center of his being, at the core of his life, he is love. But he is also holy and righteous or just, and he has anger and wrath against sin. He has anger and wrath against sin. And someday, all sin is going to be judged forever. And some people say, how could a loving God consign people to eternal judgment? How could he do that? And isn't a God of wrath, isn't that, doesn't that violate and contradict what, what we say when we say that God is love? And by the way, his wrath against sin, it's not like God's anchor boils up like it does in us. It boils up and boils up and boils up, finally explodes. That's not what it is. God's wrath is something like this. It, is, it describes his eternal, unwavering, and absolute opposition to all forms of sin and evil, wherever they occur and whenever they occur and whoever does them. So he is eternally opposed to sin and evil. That's what God's wrath means. And someday he's going to judge the world. We're going to sing a song about that uh, in, in a moment. That, that on the cross, God's wrath was, was satisfied. It was satisfied. In other words, Jesus took all human sin upon himself, and he took God's wrath upon himself when he died on the cross. That's why he cried out at the end, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it, it intrigues me that, that during the physical punishment that he received and the physical torture that he received, he did not cry out even once but only at the end when he felt abandoned by God. God's justice and wrath do not contradict his love. Let me plagiarize Mike, Pastor Mike a little bit. Justice without love is brutality. But here's my addition to that saying. Love without justice is mere sentimentality. In other words, it's an emotion that has no meaning. It has no power. It has no strength to overcome evil. If God failed to judge sin, he would not be perfectly loving. And I saw this played out. I had a, cl a class at Cerritos College that was called Reader's Theater. And we would just read through plays and dramas and try to read it as dramatically as we could. 
And there was a Jew, young Jewish man in the class, and he read this piece, of, it was about Adolf Hitler, and how much evil he did, and, and how he tried to commit genocide against the Jew, Jewish population of Europe. The last line was this, the fires of hell are waiting for you, Adolf Hitler. And that just struck me, because, because here's the thing, if God's justice against sin isn't everlasting, if it's not, well then, there's no justice for it, really. And so, there will be eternal justice. The final destination of unbelievers will be the lake of fire. People are not going to party there with their friends. That's another flippant thing that people have about death. Ah, I don't want to go to heaven. I'm going to go down there, and we're just going to have a big old party. We'll play pool and drink beer for the rest of our lives. No, they won't. And, and here's another thing that's not true. Satan is not going to be in charge of torturing people in hell. He is going to be tortured himself in the lake of fire. He will finally get what's coming to him in the lake of fire. And that is a good thing. That is a loving thing that God does but he's going to, because he's going to eliminate evil from his, his universe. This is what Revelation 20, 10 and 14 to 15 say. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then death and Hades were also thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's sobering. And I don't say that, I don't read it to scare anybody, but you can be sure that you can avoid that destiny by putting your trust in Christ. And if you haven't done that or you're not clear about what that means, I'd be glad to explain it to you when this is all over. Because you can know for sure, right here, right now, that you're not going there. You, you can be absolutely 100% sure that you're not going to the lake of fire, that you, you will have everlasting, everlasting life. And that's my final point. You're going, yeah, finally. We believe it, we believe it is possible to know for sure that one has everlasting life. And it's very simple. We teach this every, every month in our, our, our Encounter 101 class. The first thing you need to do is to admit that you're a sinner. Just admit it. You've wanted to be the boss of your life instead of allowing God to be the boss of your life. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. The next thing you need to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Isaiah prophesied about this as he prophesied many places about the Messiah. He says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, literally, for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep. Every one of us has gone astray. And God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you put your faith in Jesus, he takes all your sin, everyone that you've ever committed, everyone that you ever will commit, he put them on Jesus' shoulders. And Jesus paid the price. 
God poured out his eternal wrath on his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. And Jesus bore the weight of that wrath so that you wouldn't have to, so that we wouldn't have to. That never ceases to amaze me. I never, I never get over that. It makes it so that I can't talk sometimes. So admit and believe and then confess. Just simply acknowledge uh, that you're a sinner, like I've said, but also acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that he is the boss of the world, so to speak. People understand what that means. Lord isn't such an understandable term anymore because we don't have any lords on earth anymore like there were in that day. But we do have bosses. And bosses tell you what to do. But Jesus tells you what to do in a good way. In a good way that will bless you every step you take if you follow him. So admit, believe, and confess. And then Jesus says this in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I will become that person's bestie, best friends forever, BFF. I, I'm not just kidding here. That's what happens when you invite Jesus to come into your life. You can do that by praying a simple prayer. I'm just going to read it to you and close with one passage. I promise. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm a, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the death penalty for sin. I believe that you rose from death. Please forgive my sins. Come live inside me by the presence of the Holy Spirit. In your name I pray forever. I mean, amen. <laughs> forever, that's what we're talking about today. If you've never prayed that prayer, please come see me or one of our elders before you leave the facility today, and we will explain to you what exactly, exactly what that means and what it means for you. And here's the assurance of salvation. I want to close with this. I said we can be absolutely 100% sure that we have everlasting life. We need to have no doubt about it. And if doubt ever comes, quote this verse. Because these verses, here's what it says. This is the testimony. This is like God's witness in court raising the right hand and say, I'm telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Oh, wait a minute, I am God. That's what this means. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's that easy, that simple, rather. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does, does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son, Son of God so that you may... Hope you have eternal life? Is that what it says? No, but so that you may know that you know that you know that you have everlasting life. And it begins today right here, right now, when you put your faith in Christ. Well, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I am going to close right now. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that we have the, the freedom and privilege to meet here today, even though many other people are not allowed to gather like this. I think that's an act of God that we are able to do this to this morning. I pray that 
that we are ready to meet you. I pray that every person here is ready to meet you. And if there are people here, if there's anyone here who has the slightest doubt, don't be embarrassed or ashamed, but come and talk to somebody about it. We will help you understand what it means to have full, honest-to-God assurance that you're going to live forever. And that forever life can start today for you. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.